welcome. Thanks for joining us for Uncomfortable Conversations with the K&K K &K twins. twins. I'm Kathleen. I'm Kim. So we're back again. Oh, with such a good week. This yeah. is going to be such a good episode. This is really a critical episode, mm -hmm. so it's really important that we cover this in detail. Because if you don't get this part, it's going to be really hard to get the rest of it. So we're going to talk about the lack of objectivity. So last week, yeah, last time we talked about what codependency looks like in our lives, our how our family of origin contributes to that. Um, but this week, talking about the lack of objectivity, I'll tell you, for me, it's a concept I'm still grabbing. It was really hard to understand for me because as codependents, we think we see ourselves so clearly uh, and we think we have such insight. I'm so in tune with we my do. feelings and myself. We're so self-aware. Yes. I'm very introspective. Oh. I can see my thoughts so clearly. <laughs> and I own them. <laughs> yeah, no, we don't. No, not at all. Not at all. Mm -mm. So I'm going to splash this little, um, this little graph that we talked about before. So just remember here that we're going to, oh, this is kind of backwards. So this is functional family. It leads to lack of objectivity, um, controlled and controlling, and what um, a warped sense of responsibility and those behaviors lead to guilt loneliness and hurt and anger okay so you're coming from a dysfunctional family and these are the things that come out of that okay and again we are just um, walking through and kind of talking about the concepts in this book untangling relationships by Pat Springle so we just want to make sure we're giving credit where credit is due, mm -hmm. okay? So if you get the opportunity to order this book, you can get it on Amazon. Just order it and walk through the, it's a workbook. So you yeah, get to walk through. Yeah, do it with through, a group. Yeah, do it with a group or a counselor or whatever. Mm -hmm. it'll, be, mm -hmm. it'll be well worth your time. So, um, so this week, we're yeah. going to cover that first of those three behaviors, the lack of objectivity, okay? So let's just first define what do we mean when we say a lack of objectivity? This is the big key because a lack of objectivity means that we don't see situations as they really are. We don't see ourselves as we really are. We don't see circumstances happening around us as they really are. Mm -hmm. We create a completely different reality. reality. Yep. And we think it's true. We, we don't we even believe know. it's true. Yes. We really believe it's true. But we can't see clearly for a couple of reasons. Mm -hmm. The two main reasons are um, denial of reality mm -hmm. and the fear of reality we're yes, afraid of reality terrified. so we're going to kind of break these two concepts down and walk through it and, and we're going to be sharing with you mm -hmm. personal examples from our life and things that we have learned or things that we experienced that helped form our inability to see reality to yes. see objectivity so um and let me just say i know this is a difficult concept to wrap your brain around so give yourself some grace and be patient with yourself um, but also, I want to be really um, kind of hard on you right now. If you are sitting there going, that's not me. I see myself very clearly. I see everything really clearly. Um, this is for you. You yes. are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we said that you to each other many a time. <laughs> if you think you're seeing yourself clearly. You're not. You're not. So, and your life. Yeah. If yeah. you are in a you are codependent or you are in some kind of codependent functioning relationship, you lack objectivity. objectivity. So There's just, just no question. You be do. open. Just be open. Yeah. And learn the. <laughs> we're going to talk about it over and over and over again, not because 
well, you do need to hear about it, but also we need to hear it over and over mm -hmm. and over again. And we actually help each other. We'll, we'll, we'll say, she'll say to me, you're not even seeing that clearly. And I'm like, oh, I'm not? Mm -hmm. and I'm, I, like, you don't know. Don't know. So be open, mm -hmm. give yourself some grace, because this is just part of the process. Right. It and sometimes, is. again, let's just refresh really quick about what codependency is and isn't. Mm. So when it was first introduced to me as a concept, I was very much in denial and said, I'm not codependent. I'm not in a re relationship with an alcoholic or a drug addict. I thought it just pertained to alcoholics and drug addicts and those people that enable them or in relationship with them. So like Al-Anon mm -hmm. that deals with codependency. I had no idea the wider scope of what codependency right. is. So remember, people pleasing, even to the point of your own detriment, right? Inability to set boundaries, inability to say no, feeling guilty when you say no. Yep. Um, the desire to fi fix, rescue, save other people, that savior complex. Um, the uh, controlling and being controlled, being controlled, trying to, someone who's controlling you with their dysfunctional behavior and you trying to control them. And manipulate them to, mm -hmm. to get them to behave in a certain way right. mm -hmm. so that things stay calm and peaceful or just to get what you want. Mm -hmm. um, those are all part of right. codependent patterns. It is, absolutely. So, and it does, we, we're gonna go back and deal more with the family of origin because that's really where it starts. It, yes. And we're gonna talk about where our lack of objectivity comes from starting in our family of origin. So we tend to, as codependents, we distort reality mm -hmm. and we don't interpret life correctly. Mm -hmm. We don't see reality correctly. So we're, we're unable to acknowledge the deep hurt and repressed anger that we feel from our childhood wounds. We just can't, it's too painful. We don't see it. It's just like, again, this is a difficult and painful concept to grasp that a lot of these things stem from childhood wounds that we are completely in denial about. We don't even see it. And I really feel like it's a coping mechanism. What mm -hmm. child yeah. can handle emotionally, mm -hmm. mentally, not feeling loved, not right? feeling safe, not feeling appreciated. You can't mm -hmm. handle that. Like you can't even grasp that. So this is kind of how our minds create a new reality so that we can function. So we just deny the truth and create our own reality. Um, and it's sad, but it was necessary as children um, to be able to function and grow. But now we're adults. And so now it's our responsibility to acknowledge the truth and step out of this pattern of living in denial. Mm -hmm. But you have it to was, actually know that you're doing it. Yeah, it was a survival technique yeah, for sure. as children to survive in our environment. So, mm -hmm. so everyone has this deep yearning to be loved and valued. So when our need for love is not met, we lose objectivity, mm -hmm. right? Because we have to do all these other things to try and make ourselves feel something that isn't real and isn't there. So the lack of love produces a lack of objectivity. It's just too painful as a child especially too painful to accept that we are not loved and valued and it's even harder to admit that we are angry and hurt about it and what child doesn't want to be loved every child mm -hmm. wants to be loved every adult wants to be loved but especially as a child so if you don't feel it and that's not to say that your parents didn't give you love so let me be right. really clear right. again here that this is not a condemnation on our parents or whoever raised mm -hmm. us but how we respond to things is the truth and so we have to acknowledge that and acknowledge the pain of that and acknowledge the fact that that needs healing so yes obviously you we were loved 
but we may not have received it or felt it. Mm -hmm. And so we created um, a, a different reality in our minds. And so I'm going to read you a little story about Helen, okay? It's short, but I am going to read this. This comes right out of the book. So um, Helen had felt guilty and depressed since her family's last visit with her parents. So she explained, our time with my parents was difficult. My mother was very critical of me and even of our children. I felt really guilty since we left there. So this is a counselor that's talking with her. Um, the counselor says, tell me about your parents. She said, oh, my father is a wonderful man. He's loving and very supportive of me. My mother does a lot for me. She's very protective, but sometimes she's critical. Ken, who's Helen's husband, looked at her and said, sometimes? She said, okay, more than sometimes. So the counselor asked, when is your mother critical? Helen thought and looked away as she answered. When I was growing up, she criticized how I looked, the clothes I wore, my friends, my grades. Now she's critical of my husband, my children, just about everything. Okay, so the interesting thing about this is the counselor goes on later in the book and starts asking some more probing questions. Like she asks her, how did your father respond when your mother criticizes you, right? And Helen's response was that he goes in the other room to read the newspaper. She said that's how he copes when he nags her or when he, when he nags her, meaning her dad, or when the mom criticized Helen, right? That was his coping mechanism was just to ignore it. So you'll note that she says that her father is very loving and supportive. But that's not supportive because he didn't defend her. Mm -hmm. He didn't protect her. He ran away and left her at her, the mercy of her critical mom, right? So, um, so Helen spent her time trying to please her mother, doing everything she could to make her mom happy. She felt guilty that she'd failed her mom. She wasn't the child that her mom wanted her to be, all of those kinds of things. But remember that she said that her mother does a lot for her. She's protective, but sometimes she's critical. So she doesn't have a real, um, you know, a real firm grasp on reality. So the counselor continues to ask her, um, how do you feel when your mother criticizes you? And it's interesting that her response is guilt. She feels guilty because she doesn't feel like she measures up. She doesn't feel like she's good enough. Um, so, but she, Helen says it bothers her because now her mother is treating her children the same way. So she's perpetuating this. And she said, ever, she said her criticism has never bothered me, which of course is denial. True, yeah. <laughs> but I don't want her to treat my children that, that way. I just don't know how to get her to treat us well. And that, I think that's sometimes one of the things that opens our eyes to the reality is when we see it happening to somebody else. Right. When it's happening to us, it seems normal, right? right. It's all we've ever known. Mm -hmm. But when we see it happening to somebody else, specifically our children usually, we go, whoa, 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 whoa. Something's wrong here. We're, we don't allow that. We mm -hmm. allow that abuse. We allow that abuse for mm -hmm. ourselves, but we don't. Um, again, we see it much more clearly when it's happening to other people. Right. So the counselor goes on, and I'll just kind of wrap this up, but I just think it's a very interesting example of how in denial we are of our own family of origin. So the counselor asks, do you think your mother has been loving toward you in all this? And, Heaven said, and Helen said, of course. And the counselor says, do you show love that way, Helen? And she says, no, but I know my mother loves me no matter what I do. The counselor says, how do you know she loves you? And she says, well, I guess I've just assumed she loves me. And so as they continue to talk about it, 
the counselor said, that, Helen, have you ever felt angry with your mom for her critical you know, nature or criticism? And she says, no, I haven't. Why? And the counselor said, why not? Wouldn't anger be a normal response to someone who has condemned you and hurt you over and over? So do you see how in all these different ways that Helen has been in denial? Her father's loving and supportive when clearly he is not. Her mother loves her. Well, clearly her behavior does not reflect love and care. And she said she's protective towards her. She's super critical about everything she does, the way she looks, everything. So I don't, so I don't see that as being a, no. a supportive or loving parent. But that's part of what we do as codependents. We make mm -hmm. excuses for people's bad behavior. Right? Um, so. Instead of acknowledging the truth of it. That's part, I mean, those, those are just different ways that denial shows up. It's what mm -hmm. it looks like in action. Um, and that's all denial. And she feels guilty mm -hmm. because she feels like her mom isn't happy. And when she criticizes her, she's doing something right. wrong. Helen is somehow wrong that she's not pleasing her mother. So it, she's taken on the, the role of her mother's, you know, um, of, of, of pleasing her mom, mm -hmm. making her mom, it's her job to make her mom happy. You know, that's part of what happens as children. And I don't know if it's because as children we're naturally self-centered or self-focused. We think everything is about us. Mm -hmm. But if somebody's treating us badly or if we're not good enough, it you know, you t we talk about this all the time. Mm -hmm. Our parents are godlike to us. Our parents, right. our parents can do no, no wrong. wrong. When you're that so young, it must yes. be us. It must it be us. It must be mm -hmm. in our in our childlike brains. It must be us. So it, it ha we have to cope with that somehow. And kids will conclude that if their parents, who are godlike to them and can do no wrong or perfect, if the parents treat them badly. That must be how it's supposed to be. Mm. That must be how life is supposed to be, that they deserve to be treated that badly. So they go through life allowing people to treat them badly because they feel like this is how it's supposed that's to normal. be. That's this their, is normal. That's this is normal. what I deserve. Yeah. This is how they, you know, that's the kind of self-concept that they develop. So, um, so if parents are controlling or manipulative mm -hmm. or abusive or condemning, whatever, children can conclude that it's their fault. It's mm -hmm. not their parents. It's their fault. Um, so they see themselves as unlovable, unworthy of being loved, mm. of being incompetent, of being, you know, whatever, bad people. I want, you to, I want you to stop and think about that. Have you ever felt unlovable? Have you ever felt unworthy? Mm -hmm. Have you ever felt incompetent? These things stem all the way back from our childhood. They are so deeply rooted. Mm -hmm. And so it really does take mm -hmm. this hard work of, of uncovering those things and replacing those lies, because they are lies, mm -hmm. with the truth. Um, so, it, and also wants to, I also want to point out that that means you're not alone. Right. This is really what so many of us deal with. And I really, I might be wrong, but I feel like women deal with this more than men do. I think there are codependent men, but I think you're probably right there. Yeah, there's certainly um, codependent men, but I feel like that unlovable, unworthy. Right. But maybe you're enough. saying, no, that's not me. I don't feel that. Yeah. And yet, you find yourself and the kinds of relationships that we're going to talk about. You find yourself in a family with, a, like for me, um, and again, this is not an indictment of our parents. This is just the reality of our family of origin. My mom was hypercritical, super critical. I was very much like Helen. I could do no wrong. My dad. No, you could do no right. I mean, I could do no right. Yeah, thank you. I could do nothing. I mean, there's nothing I could do right. It was just ridiculous. And But my dad 
would be in the living room reading in the same way and it just allowed this kind of behavior. Now he was emotionally distant, emotionally unavailable. Um, he was not very nurturing. He, was, he seemed cool, cold, aloof, distant, whatever. So as a child, that's very disconcerting because mm -hmm. you have one parent that's tearing you apart constantly. You have another parent that doesn't seem to care and you're just kind of left in that void floundering mm -hmm. to figure out who you are. Mm -hmm. So these are the cues that you're getting from your parents mm -hmm. who are the, those closest to you that shape and form your identity. So you conclude then that you're bad, mm -hmm. that you're worthless, that mm -hmm. you're stupid, that mm -hmm. you're, you can't make the right decision, you can't do anything right. Yeah. And so it's almost paralyzing at times as a child and even as an adult. Yeah, for sure. it, it causes someone to be, um, it's hard to make decisions. Mm -hmm. Because you're so you terrified really of making, yes, very indecisive <laughs> procrastinating because yes, you're terrified of making a wrong decision. Because yes. in my house, the slightest infraction would just be a huge smackdown. It would mm. just mean, you know, the world was coming to an end. There was just no allowance for a child who might spill their milk at the table. And that would just be, example, a, yeah. you know, a blow up. Well, it's just a child who spilled their milk at the table. It can be cleaned up. It's mm -hmm. not the end of the world. So those kinds of things, so if you think about that, and, and you may think, no, I know my parents love me. Think about Helen and think about some of those dynamics. Is that really true? Now, you may be. You may have come from a family that was healthy and functional, and they loved you and nurtured you and made you feel and they knew you were loved. Right, exactly. God love you then because that's a wonderful way to grow up. So yeah. really count your blessings. And next time you see your parents, you hug and kiss them because they did right by you, and that's a wonderful thing because you didn't have to go through some of this stuff probably. So um, They're probably not even listening to this at all. Yeah, they don't care. They're not codependent. They don't <laughs> care about it. <laughs> They so, can identify with exactly. this. They're all super healthy. So, the, so the, the main gist of this is that codependents are not able to discern reality from mm -hmm. unreality. Mm -hmm. They're not able to discern what's real and what is not. Um, so if the, if the family acts with deception and denial, then the children learn that. Mm -hmm. um, so the practice of denying reality starts in childhood, like we said. Mm -hmm. um, so children are going to believe what they see and how their parents treat them. Can I tell a story? Yeah, tell a okay. story. So. We, in my family, the wonderful family that it is, um, really live in a place of denial, my family of origin. And so I actually had a whole conversation with my sister about this the other day um, because she called me and said that I really upset her. And I was like, I'm racking my brain going, okay, what could I have possibly said that upset her? And she said, you know, Okay, I feel like I have to tell the whole story for it to make sense. So we were, t we were talking about my family going to visit my sister's family, and because of COVID, I didn't know if she'd want us to come there because I'm not vaccinated, you know, her kids are. And so we, I brought it up, we talked about it for a few minutes, and we just haven't talked about it since. So she asked me about it maybe last week, and we hadn't talked about it for maybe about a month, and I said, well, I figured you didn't really want us to come, so I just didn't bring it up anymore. And she got really upset that I thought she would just not respond. And she goes, well, why would you think I would just ignore you? And I'm like, well, that's what we do in our family. If we don't want to have a difficult conversation, we just don't have it. And we just don't talk and we act like the conversation never happened. <laughs> she was like, oh, yeah, that is what we do. We just, we do. She's like, I'm really, she's trying very hard to not live that way and to be really communicative. And so I went back to, well, when we don't want to talk about something, we just don't talk about it. 
And it was really very eye-opening for both of us because it never even occurred to me that she would be upset that I would think something that was so normal to us. And she's trying to break the pattern, so it's not normal to her, but it's also it also never occurred to her. She's like, that is what we've done all our lives. That's what mom and dad do. Mm-hmm. That's what our brother's doing um, right now in another situation. That's how we function. And that's how normal it is. Mm-hmm. Like, we make decisions. I made a decision. I thought, oh, well, she doesn't want to talk about it. I guess we're not going. Was it upset? Like, it literally was just a passing thought. To her, she just didn't even think about it again, but got upset that I thought she wouldn't just talk about it. But denial is very, in our minds, it's very, very easy because it's a, it's a way, for us, it, it's a way of avoiding mm. confrontation mm-hmm. and difficult conversations, which is why we work hard to have these uncomfortable conversations. conversations. And so my sister and I had an uncomfortable conversation where I was like, you were upset about what? Like. And she was like, how could you ever think I would? And, but you know what? Here's one of the, if I've learned nothing else from this, this study, when you handle things in a healthy way, it affects everyone positively. It has a positive outcome for everyone involved. If you have behaviors that are unhealthy, it affects everyone in a negative way. So because I came from a place of denial it affected her in a negative way. She got upset. I didn't know the truth about what was going on, so that was negative. We may or may not end up going because who knows, maybe it's too late now. It, it, it could affect everyone in a negative way because I came from a place of denial. And so that is something you'll hear me say over and over mm-hmm. and over again because that is such an awakening for me that if we just do things in a healthy way, it really is, even though it doesn't, happen naturally in the beginning it really is better for everyone involved mm-hmm. it helps everyone so yep. that's just one everyone example in wins. my life you know when, you, when we respond with healthy responses yeah. everybody wins everybody when wins. we respond in unhealthy responses everybody, everybody loses. loses it's just not good there's so, no way around mm-hmm. it that's just the reality of it so um so yeah we just we can't see reality because we've lived with people for so long who don't admit what is true about life and their own behaviors yeah. You know, um, especially if you if you are living with somebody that has those kind of overt type of, you know, um, behaviors, or maybe drug addiction, maybe it's physical abuse or mm-hmm. sexual abuse, whatever, or it may just be like I said, a hypercritical mom, um, a very unloving, unnurturing, unsupportive dad, whatever the case may be. They may not see themselves that way. They are in denial, and so for them they will deny that all day long mm-hmm. and so you learn that okay their behavior must be right and my expectations must be wrong right. so so you know when you're a kid you do try to somehow make sense of this in a way that protects your heart so mm-hmm. for instance for me i remember as a child for a while i went through this thing where i said oh my mom and i are really close well i couldn't say that about my dad because he was like i said emotionally unavailable he was withdrawn and so I tried to protect my heart by creating this mm. scenario where my mom and I were so close and, and, and that um, I, I just ne- desperately needed to be loved and to yeah. feel like I was loved and to feel like my mom loved me. So I kind of created this false narrative about how close my mom and I were. Mm. And that wasn't even really real. 
unfortunately. But you see the defense mechanisms that we put in place as children to protect our hearts and protect our souls. Um, so, yeah, so that's, so, but, but in the same way, when you think about your family of origin, if you end up marrying or being in a, in a, in a um, close relationship and you will. or any strong relationship with, a, with an addicted person, a narcissist, or any dysfunctional person, anyone who's a dysfunctional person, that person will slowly erode your sense of objectivity. They will make you believe you are the problem, not them. So they call that gaslighting yep. now. But that's where they twist. It's like when someone treats you badly and you kind of call them out and say, hey, you know what? That was hurtful. That wasn't right. You didn't treat me right there. And they twist it and turn it and get angry and blame you and say, you know, well, this is your fault. And you did, you know, and you believe you start believing it. Mm -hmm. You start you start believing their reality rather than what's really real. You can't see it objectively. Um, so what's interesting in talking about denial of reality, because we don't see ourselves that way. Um, mm -hmm. I had dated a gentleman for about, I don't know, seven or eight months. And things were great in the beginning. And then over time, it, he began to manifest some narcissistic personality, narcissistic tendencies. And when I would try and talk to him about that, he always twisted it and turned it around on me. And I would have to end up apologizing for his wrong behavior. I took it on myself. So it was interesting because I was talking to my friend who used to be a counselor, and she said, Kathleen, do you, do you hear what you're saying? This sounds like a classic narcissist. This is, you're dealing with a narcissist here. And I was like, a narcissist? So I had to start reading up and look, you know, looking into that. So anyway, the relationship was going badly, and I went and I met with a counselor. And I was talking to her about these conversations we've had and these situations that happened with this person. And she said, you know, Kathleen, that sounds like you're dealing with a narcissist. So two professionals telling me that I was dealing with a narcissist, and, and the first time my friend said it, I was like, what is she talking about? I am an intelligent, successful, you know, woman here, strong woman. I'm not going to put up with a narcissist. That, that's not me. That, that, that can't be. It, is, it was exactly the situation. I was involved with a narcissist, and codependence can very often gravitate to narcissists. I think more often than not. Quite a bit, yeah. You know? they, narcissists gravitate to codependence because they can manipulate and use you. you yes, know, we, we're just desperate for love. We're so desperate, and they prey on that, mm -hmm. and they will, they want you because, and we want them because we think we can fix them. Yes. We want to fix them. We want to help so them. We're so great at seeing other people's problems. We are, and mm -hmm. we just feel, oh, they just need, they're so wounded, we need to fix them. Yeah. Don't get sucked into that. But anywho, so the, that was just me not being able to see clearly yeah. the limitations of that relationship and what was really going on and allowing him for, for a time to gaslight me until I was able to talk to others and get a, you know, get a better perspective. So it's really important that we are honest with ourselves mm -hmm. and others, particularly with others, so that they can help us see reality. So, um, but part of it, so the harmful consequences of denying reality we carry that into adulthood. Mm -hmm. So all these things as a child, we're going to carry that into adulthood unless it's addressed. All right. So, um, so denying anything is really part of the problem because if you don't admit there's a problem, you can't fix it. Mm -hmm. So it's only when we begin to look honestly at the effects that denial produces in our lives, can the healing begin. Mm -hmm. um, it's painful, but it is necessary, right? Absolutely. So yeah. Well, okay, so if you remember in the last episode, or actually every episode, we talk <laughs> yeah. about how uncomfortable change is. And it is, 
Uh, and part of the reason is because these things, like we said, are so deeply ingrained and have been, we've been doing them since we're children. But it's really, really important that we embrace that change and embrace the difficulty and have these uncomfortable conversations um, because we need to be able to change our patterns. These patterns, we've been doing this mm. dance with these people for so long. So and long. we bring new people in and still doing the same right? old dance. Because we're trying to heal these relationships. We're trying to, again, trying to get that love, that love that we didn't feel from our family mm -hmm. of origin. We gravitate towards people just like that, trying, yep, to, just trying like to get that, that love. Trying to, it's it's mm -hmm. crazy, actually, when you think mm -hmm. about it. To gravitate to another unhealthy person to heal the lack of love the that wound you, that you had from a childhood but you tend to marry your your your, your dad yeah. or your mom yeah. sometimes it is a, 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 yeah, someone sure. who has a person if your mom is the one that wounded you the deepest you may marry a spouse that's very much like her right Absolutely. whether it's male or female it's just a, the personality dynamic right Absolutely. so we do we tend to try to recreate mm -hmm. those dysfunctional dynamics we experience one to see if we can fix it this yes. time around if we can fix it then somehow we can heal what happened right. in the past you can't that's impossible <laughs> yes. but also we recreate those dynamics because it's comfortable yes. and it's familiar and it feels safe yes. even though it's extremely painful and extremely mm -hmm. unhealthy and it's not safe it's not any safe. relationship where you mm -hmm. are not loved and you are not cared for and you're not living in reality is not a safe relationship um, and you know, she talked about gaslighting and, and even just being, it might even be some, something as simple as people telling you how to feel. Mm. That's not healthy. Mm -hmm. When people tell you, well, you really should feel this way. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't feel that way. Right. I have a saying that um, people kind of get offended when I say it, but I'm like, don't should on me. You're not gonna tell me how I should feel. You're not gonna tell me how I shouldn't feel. You're not gonna should on me. And I try not to should on myself because right. The truth is the truth. And so if you feel like people are constantly telling you what you should do or, or what you should feel, um, or saying things, you know, twisting the truth, like he's not drunk, you know he's drunk. Right? You know what I'm saying? If you live an alcoholic parent and, and, and your mom is saying, dad is just sleeping, he's on yeah. the couch, and you see all the, the, the empty the beer pink. cans or the yeah. liquor bottles or whatever, you know he's stone drunk yeah. and passed out, but mom's telling you, you know, dad's just asleep, he's sleeping. That's not true. Mm -hmm. That's that's denial. And you know, I yeah. remember my dad used to always say, if something happened and I cried or upset, he'd say, um, "Oh, you're not hurt. You're fine." Or I'll give you something to cry about. Who's heard, who else has heard that? Right? I mean, Have you heard that yeah, when they say, yeah. you know, when they tell you it shouldn't hurt, but it does, mm -hmm. or you're not hurt when you are? Right? Or when they tell you they're not angry and you know they're angry, you can oh, see you know everything in their body language mm -hmm. is telling mm -hmm. you exactly how yep. they feel. But especially as children we are taught not to believe what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. We're taught to believe not what we're feeling, because let's be real, we can feel things. Yes. And as children, we are taught to ignore that. That is not healthy. We need to be able to know that what we're seeing with our eyes and what we're feeling in our bodies is consistent and real true. and true. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, people telling us how we should feel and how we should act um, and how we should think teaches us not to trust ourselves. Right. Exactly. And that's da need that's dangerous. Mm -hmm. Yep. You as a child need to know how to trust yourself and you as an adult need to know how to trust yourself. And we um, need to be very careful to allow our children to set boundaries. Yes. So this is just one simple example. I was reading something about this the other day about people who when family members come over that the child may not have met 
or may not have seen in a long time, or maybe they're just uncomfortable around them and they're forced to hug and kiss them when they're mm -hmm. uncomfortable doing that. Mm -hmm. I just personally believe we should never force yeah. a child to hug or kiss anybody mm -hmm. that they don't want to hug or kiss because what they're saying is, this is my body and this is my boundary. If you just leave them alone, maybe by the end of the visit, they'll voluntarily do that and warm up to somebody. But to try and force someone, like I wouldn't say to Kim, hey, this is my, my boyfriend, hug him, kiss him. <laughs> like, yeah. how uncomfortable but would that, that be? And, but we do it to our kids. So mm -hmm. our children need to be able to set boundaries, even mm -hmm. with us sometimes. Absolutely. If something hurts them, I mean, within reason, not, you know. Not disrespectful. Right. But, but if there's something within reason, allow them to say no or this is my space, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. allow them that, allow them that dignity. And I think, I don't think we do that very oh, well sometimes, I, you know? I don't think so either. And you know, one of my kids is, um, has always been, we say she's not a hugger, she's just not a hugger. So even when she was little, she would not hug people. And you know, I being super codependent was like, you need your attitude is a reflection on you, and you will hug them, and you will like them, and you, like right? that would be me. We're so embarrassed that you oh, won't yeah. hug somebody you don't but you know. know you know, here she is. You know, now she's in her mid-teens. She's just not a hugger. Right? <laughs> she's just not. She doesn't like to be touched. She doesn't like people in her space. And you know what? That's who she is. But I, as a younger mom, because I wasn't super young when she was born, but when she was young, I didn't even know how to let, and that I think that's part of codependency too, mm -hmm. is not letting people be themselves. Right. Um, and Because try, that's trying to control. Mm -hmm. um, and so she's doing great at teaching me <laughs> how controlling I am. They do that when Thanks, we allow them to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's, very, she's doing so, which I feel like means I'm doing better. Yeah. Because she, she has the freedom to say, to that. say mom, mm -hmm. stop trying to control me. Yeah. So I think that's growth. Right? In a positive way. I mean, yeah. there are times where, you know, you do need to lay down the law or, yeah. or set, you know, we need to set boundaries with our kids too and have, you know, things that but make sense. But allow them to but have their own boundaries. Exactly. In a healthy way. So, so the thing to remember is that a dysfunctional person lives a lie and they mm -hmm. expect you to live it too. Yeah. Right? They're in denial and they need you to be in denial in order to support their lies. So the codependent lives a lifetime with these lies and learns to call them truth. Mm. All right, we learn to call lies truth. That, I feel like we need to like pause for a moment on that. We live these lies and we learn to call them truth. So that means we have to stop every time we have a thought and analyze whether it's a lie or, or the truth. Right. So that we can act on the truth because we've been acting mm -hmm. on lies all these years. Right, you know what especially I mean? if we're engaging with a dysfunctional person that we mm -hmm. know is dysfunctional, right? So. That's just something to keep in mind. So yeah. that, that was the first thing, yeah. um, the denial of reality. Mm -hmm. The second one is fear of reality. Mm -hmm. um, so we talk about how we're fixers and we want to, we, we, we tend to insert ourselves into other people's dramas and situations. Mm -hmm. They come to us, we want to help them and rescue them. We're so good at it. We're very good at it. <laughs> but solving other people's crises drains so much of our energy yeah. that the prospect of addressing our own pain and anger is just terrifying. Yes. It's easier to rescue and fix other people. We think it's easier. To we rescue. think it is, yeah. right? That, in That's our mind. That's part of the lie we tell ourselves. So every now and then, I can recall times where I got these fleeting glimpses of reality, but it's so painful that we're afraid of being overwhelmed by mm -hmm. it. We're, we remember how terrified yes. we were to even start this yes. study. I felt like the pain was going to be so great just having to address the fact that I didn't feel loved as a mm -hmm. child or valued mm -hmm. was so excruciatingly painful. 
I didn't know if I could survive it. Right. I thought it, I thought it would consume me. I thought, I thought I would start crying and I would never, ever be able to stop. I, you know what it really, ooh, you oh, know what it really what? is? How? I think I thought I would lose control. <gasps> ooh, that's good. I think that's what it really was. It was that mm -hmm. fear of losing control because, you know, as codependents, we're always in control. We always Right. So I think that's really what the fear was. Like, what if I, what if I lose control of myself? And I can't manage wow. the pain. That right and that was paralyzing. yes oh my gosh that um, is really paralyzing yeah so so objectivity when we start looking at reality it does bring pain yeah and anger yeah you have to go through the anger there's some stages we'll talk about this later mm -hmm. that we have to go through but avoiding it just continues to perpetuate the sickness and the dysfunction in ourselves and that brings even more pain mm -hmm. and it prevents us from healing and change right we need to change yes it's uncomfortable don't be afraid of being uncomfortable. It's we okay. have to be. That's, a, that's why we're, okay. here. we're exactly. here. We're here to be uncomfortable right? with you. <laughs> exactly. And so the and part of that fear of reality is the fear of losing our identity, right? Yes. So even if it's it's critical to understand that that fear of, of, is the fear of losing one's identity because however broken and painful our self-concept is, mm. it's all we've got. It's what we know, okay? If the fear of losing even a tiny little piece of what we have is very threatening, it is terrifying because we don't, we already don't really know who we are. We've already right. floundered around into, in this abyss with no foundation of love or value or any of those things. So the little bit that we have, we cannot lose. But here's the truth. The truth is because we're such people pleasers mm -hmm. and because we deny our feelings and, and are not in touch with ourselves, we have already lost our identities. We have. We just don't know that. I, we have. I, will, I can freely now say that for years I lost myself. Yeah, I too. was his wife. I was their mom. I was a business owner. Mm -hmm. I was their sister. I was their daughter. I could not tell you who Kim was. I did lose my identity. And... I morphed into whatever I needed to be at that moment for that mm -hmm. other person, mm -hmm. but I lacked any um, idea of how to even care for myself. Right. We don't do really well with self-care. No. We I lose ourselves. So if you're, if you're someone now that's thinking about this, what do you like? What don't you like? Mm -hmm. What do you find fun to do? Mm -hmm. Do you only do what your husband does or your significant other, your partner, whoever? Mm -hmm. Do you do those things because that's what they like to do or do you do it because you really enjoy doing it mm -hmm. with them and you enjoy doing it for yourself? Mm -hmm. Do you have anything that you do just for you? Yeah. That you do whether they liked it or whether your kids want to do it or your husband or spouse, significant, mm -hmm. whatever, partner wants mm -hmm. to do. Do you just do it for you? I didn't have that for years. years. I, I didn't. I, I, I just forgot who I was. I did not I know I literally was. disappeared. And it was interesting because I remember one time when my daughter was um, in her early teens. I can't remember exactly how old. And I asked her one time, I said, honey, how did it feel when your dad and I, you know, started fighting and we started, you know, um, having disagreements and fighting? Was that stressful for you? How did you feel about it? She said, yeah, it was really stressful for me. But she says, mom, you know what? It was okay because that was when you found your voice. Mm. Now my child is telling me this. This is when I finally found my voice and realized that I need to speak up for myself. I need to find out who I am and what I want instead of just doing what everybody else wanted. 
So I thought that was very profound. And again, insight. It also is another, insight. it's another <laughs> example of how we lack objectivity. You couldn't see that for yourself. Mm-mm. Nope. It took your child to say that mm-hmm. to you because we can't even see ourselves clearly. She didn't even know she lost her voice. Right. Like, right. It when did that happen? Normal. Right? When did that happen? I don't know. But I've never had a voice because as a child I didn't either. I wasn't allowed to disagree. I wasn't, it was always, anytime you disagreed or questioned, Mm. you were being disrespectful. It was labeled as disrespectful. Mm. Now, I tended to marry my dad for the most part. So when my spouse and I started having issues, that was one of the things that our counselor, our pastor, we were counseling with our pastor at the time, and he said, you know, he said to my husband, he said, Bill, I think you have a skewed understanding of what disrespectful is because it seems to me every time Kathleen just disagrees with you (laughs) or tries to say hey this is hurting me or this is wrong or whatever it gets labeled as disrespectful like she's and and, you know I wasn't allowed to question my my parents authority my dad's authority how matter right or wrong it was you couldn't question you weren't allowed to have doubts or any of that kind of a thing and so um, the same thing with my spouse so anytime I questioned or said, wait, maybe this doesn't feel good. This mm-hmm. doesn't feel good to but me. We didn't listen to it that, was yeah. labeled as disrespect. Mm-hmm. And so especially being a Christian and, and you know, the church environment mm-hmm. and some of the teachings there in the church that, you know, as a godly yep. wife, you need to be submissive to your husband and, you know, not question and allow him to be the spiritual leader and the authority right. in the home. But sometimes men don't warrant that kind of, Facts. of respect because they're not living in a way that... Um, you know, yeah, and that's facilitates not actu- that having type. an opinion mm-hmm. is not disrespect. It's not, and so anyway, all of that to say, sorry, I went off on a little tangent no, there, but, but that is part of when we start to realize how we find ourselves again, mm-hmm. where we mm-hmm. when we get our voice and figure out who we are, what we want, what we like, right? Yeah. So, so this fear mm. leaves us clinging to a dysfunctional person who brings pain, abuse, neglect instead of facing reality, going through the healing process, and on the other end, coming out experiencing love, freedom, and strength. Yes. But it's because it's what we know is that dysfunction. We'd rather stay in that and wallow in that, that uck, yuck, than break through, yeah. face the pain, walk through it, and come out on the other side. So the lack of objectivity is powerful, and it is destructive. Mm-hmm. That's the point we're trying to make. That's Absolutely. what we're trying to get across here. So Absolutely. as we um, kind of wrap this up. And we're going to talk about it again and again and again. Um, but I, I think we're, are we wrapping Yeah, up I think we're this wrapping this up. So mm-hmm. next time what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what a lack of objectivity looks like in our daily, day-to-day life. Right. That, how, mm-hmm. that, how that rears its ugly head. So thank you for joining us. Yes, thanks. We know it's a heavy and we know this is a tough one. But goodness gracious, when you get a hold of it, Lit. it is so eye-opening and it's worth it and it's free and it's part of it's part of the healing process so come heal with us good job come heal with us you'll be glad you did we'll see you next time thanks